1: the legal counsel to President Trump, Jenna Ellis. Well, good morning, friends. Welcome to Jenna Ellis in the morning. My name is Mike Donnelly, and I am just incredibly privileged and blessed to be guest hosting for Jenna while she is out. She's going to be back very soon, so you'll be back in the saddle with Jenna. But I hope you'll hang with me for the next hour or so because we're going to have a really interesting time. Um, we are going to be welcoming Randy Galuza, who is the president of ICR here momentarily to have a conversation with him. And friends, you're going to have an opportunity to call in. We are going to be talking with Randy about creation science. And so if that's something that's of interest to you, and it is very interesting to me, um, you're going to want to take this number down. So 888-589-8840 is the number you're going to get to ask Randy Galuzza, president of ICR, some questions. Uh, but friends, I just want to welcome you. I hope you're having a good morning, um, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, getting started uh, on your first cup of coffee or not. I've already had mine, and I'm looking forward to the second one as well. Uh, and um, if you're thinking, if you think of any friends who you think might like to hear Randy, why don't you just post that on your social media right now? I know there's lots of people probably got their phones, they're listening, and just go to your Facebook page and just just post the Jenna Ellis Show so people can hear about it. I promise you it's going to be super interesting. But let me ask you a question. You know, I was up this morning pretty early thinking about this uh, opportunity here to talk with you. And um, I was just thinking how grateful I am. How grateful I am for the opportunity to talk with you all, but just grateful in, in general. Um, in fact, my wife was up early this morning. She was going on a trip. And she told me something. That made me feel really grateful. She said, "I'm grateful for you." How awesome is that for husbands? Right, if their wives wake up in the morning and say, "You know, hon, I really appreciate you." Uh, wives, if you a little little tip, any wives listening right now, if you want to get on your husband's good side, just do that. Say how how much you appreciate them. And I I was very appreciative uh, that she said that. And and I've, I'm, honestly, I i honestly I appreciate my wife. Um, We've been married for 31 years. We have seven children. We've homeschooled over the years. They're a blessing. She's a blessing. And uh, I just appreciated that. And you know what else is a blessing, friends? Living in the United States of America, in my opinion. Um, I just feel blessed to have been born here, to live here. I'm very thankful to my grandparents who left Ireland in the 1920s and said, you know what? We're going to go and we're going to give it a shot in the U.S. of A. We're going to seek opportunity and freedom there. We live in a in a blessed country, friends. That's why so many people want to come here. Um, we're blessed with freedom to worship, to speak our ideas, to share them, to share the gospel. So we can be grateful. And and we should be grateful for all the things that God puts in our lives, even if we're having tough times. And I know, you know, with everybody who's listening to this conversation this morning, I know there are some folks out there who are having some difficulty. But friends, I just want you to know that you can turn to God if you're having a tough time, he wants to hear from you. And I turn to him when I'm trying to figure things out. Um, I like to go to Romans 828, which is one of my favorite verses when I'm trying to figure things out, right? What is that verse? We remember all things happen for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, right? And and 829, we don't want to forget that because that explains why things happen. God's trying to shape our character through our, our tough times. He wants us to be formed in the image of Jesus. And so when we when we face tough times in our personal lives or even in our country, you know, and we have a lot of problems in our country. Like you heard, uh, you heard the beginning part of the show, there's some stuff going on that's not good, okay? I'm not trying to whitewash anything here. We've got some stuff we need to deal with in this country. Uh, you know, people talking about a federal government shutdown, which, okay, is that a problem? I don't know, maybe that's a problem. I mean, for those who work for the federal government, I guess it's a problem and I'll be sorry for them for the difficulties they have if that happens. But for me, I'm looking at the federal government saying, that's a problem, that thing is a problem. Too big, too invasive, too much of a lot. And so maybe a little bit less of it would be okay. And so if it shuts down for a while, in fact, I was on a run this morning talking to a friend of mine who works for the government and we were both talking about that and we agreed. We're like, yeah, this thing, you know, maybe if it shuts down for a little while, maybe that's okay. Um, friends, I, I appreciate your listening here today. And just a little bit about me, uh, so you know who I am. I uh, live in the great state of West Virginia. Um, I've uh, served in the United States Army, was in the first Gulf War. After that, I went to law school, uh, got into business, and then I jumped into the world of working for nonprofits, which is what I want to talk about here for just a minute before I bring Randy on. Um, I work for the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. And so before I introduce Randy, I'd just like to update you on an important story that I believe Jenna had on. On the show a week or two ago, she had a friend of mine, Kevin Bowden, who is a lawyer at HSLDA. And I used to work at HSLDA, I worked at HSLDA for about 17 years before moving over to do the work I'm doing now. And I had the privilege to represent the Romica family. That's that German family who fled Germany because of homeschooling to come here to seek asylum, to seek freedom and opportunity here in the United States, to seek uh, freedom of religion, really, because they were homeschooling because of their religious convictions. Um, and, and I was the guy who helped bring them over here, who worked with them for 15 years while they were fighting that, that battle. And if you remember the story, uh, you know, they came here, they applied for asylum. They came here legally, by the way. They applied for asylum. Uh, the judge gave them asylum because he agreed that yes, what the German government was doing to them, fining them, taking their kids away was persecution. I don't know about you, you take my kids away, I'm feeling persecuted. That seems like it's persecution. And if they're if you're doing it because you're homeschooling, okay, yeah, okay, fine. If kids are being you know badly treated and abused, okay, fine, I get it. But homeschooling, that's not abuse. You're taking kids away for homeschooling. That's that is persecution, in my opinion, and that's what was happening in Germany. And so the Ramikas came here. The judge said, "Yep, that's persecution," and you got asylum, but. The uh, some, some courts overturned that um, decision. And so they lost the asylum. But then the US government said, well, okay, but we're not going to kick you out. So you can stay here. And so for 15 years, basically, they've been living here. And this is really home. They've had two kids here. They have a grandchild now. I mean, for all these kids and for them, this is home. And uh, the government said, look, we'll let you stay here. We're not going to make you leave. So just check in every year with us. Make sure you're not you know doing bad things and these are wonderful people Mr. Romica is a piano teacher um, his wife is a homeschool mom um, and uh, their kids are growing up they're they're contributing to our country I mean these are the kind of people that we want to stay in this country and so they were going in every year checking in and and you know they get the box checked and they come back and they get the box checked and then suddenly about 4 weeks ago they come back and the, the immigration officer says You got four weeks to get your passports and get out. Four weeks, get your passports, get out. Can you imagine? Can you even imagine? And, uh, you know, they called me on their way home from this appointment saying, Mike, what? We don't we don't understand. We don't know what's going on. I said, well, guys, you know, I'm not at HSLDA anymore. And I'm sure HSLDA is going to do everything they can to to help you. And I know they are and they will. Um, And the guy who took over my job is helping them. But friends, here's what I want to ask you to do. If, if you could help them, would you? what would you do? Would you be willing to help this family if you could? Well, you can. There's two things you can do, and it's really easy. All you have to do is go to your computer and go to HSLDA.org and scroll down to the update on the remicas, and there's two things you can do. The first thing you can do is sign the petition. They've got a petition there. Almost 70,000 people have signed it. They're hoping to get 100,000. I bet if everybody listening right now just went to their computer and went to HSLDA.org, clicked on that update on that homepage on the Romica family and signed the petition, we'd hit 100,000 in an hour. So I wonder if anybody's going to do that. But you can do that. You can sign that petition. And they're going to use that petition to put pressure on the administration, the Biden administration, who's for whatever reason says to this German homeschooling Christian family, get out. You know, We want to put pressure on that administration and say, no, we don't want these people out. We want them in. So leave them alone. That's number one. Sign that petition. Number two, the Romike's congresswoman, Diana Harshbarger, has actually filed a a bill, a bill in Congress. It's House Resolution 5423, a bill in Congress to actually, you know, have Congress. And they can do this. Let those people stay. They can stay. Um, And so you can uh, write a letter to your congressperson at HSLDA.org. Sign the petition and just click on the button uh, to send a message to your congressperson to let them know. So what do you think? Can you do that? I'd appreciate it. HSLDA.org. Just click on that update and do those two things. Well, friends, thank you for listening to that. And I, I, I know you're interested and you care about these folks and please do pray for them as well. Uh, but now I'm really excited to turn to Randy Galuzza. Uh Randy, how you doing this morning? I'm doing great. So, thank you very much for the invitation. Oh, you bet, you bet, Randy. Well, I'm so glad to have a couple minutes here with you. And we're gonna, we're, folks, we're gonna take calls here. So, the number eight 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 five eight nine eight eight four zero, and we'll get to your calls here in a few minutes. But let me just introduce Randy. And Randy is a friend of mine. I am so blessed to have gotten to know Randy over the years through his big brother Frank. Now, Frank was uh, a professor of government at Patrick Henry College. I've worked. There also, when I was at HSLDA teaching constitutional law at Patrick Henry College, Frank was the debate coach there, an amazing brother. And sadly, Frank went on to be with the Lord a few years ago, and we miss him very much. Um, but I was, you know, that. but Frank being a Patrick Henry, Randy, is how you and I got to know each other.
3: You bet. That's, that is it. And actually, I was encouraging Frank for almost six or seven years to go to Patrick Henry College. And uh, then I think the Lord just made it very clear he was calling him there.
1: Well, he, well, we were so blessed to have Frank there for so many years. He had such an impact on the lives of so many Patrick Henry College students. And and some of those students have gone on to do some pretty incredible things. I mean, some of them clerk at the Supreme Court. They're lawyers. They're, they're involved in government. I mean, those students are doing some amazing things. things. So Frank had an incredible uh, impact on people. But Randy, it was great to get to know you. And now, Randy, you are now president of ICR, the Institute for Creation Research. And I just want to... Go through uh, and introduce you properly uh, to the folks here before we start talking about ICR and creation science. And, you know, Randy, you've been at ICR for a number of years, but you have a pretty incredible background yourself. You have a bachelor's degree in engineering from the South Dakota School of Mines, which is a pretty impressive engineering school. You have a bachelor's in theology from the Moody Bible Institute. You are a medical doctor, having gotten your MD from the University of Minnesota. And you have a master of public health. From Harvard University, you are a very educated, well-educated man. You served for nine years yeah. in the Navy. Yeah, hold up. I know you. You. You want to just tell me to be quiet, but I'm not going to. Uh, you. You served for nine years in this as a civil engineer in the Navy. You were a professional engineer. You were a lieutenant colonel in the Air Force. You were a flight surgeon in the Air Force. I mean, you've done some amazing things even before getting involved with ICR.
3: Incredible. Right, right. When you re- Yeah, when you read through all that list, it just brings back a lot of old memories and things. And, you know, probably someone hearing what you're talking about would think that I was just an avid student, or I would just really, really love school, but that, that isn't really the case in and of itself. All that education and investing all of that time was part of the calling that the Lord Jesus put on my life way back when I was a student at Moody Bible Institute, and in 1979, I picked up an Axon Facts. That is the newsletter, news magazine of the Institute for Creation Research. I read two articles by a man named Dr. Dwayne Gish, one on the origin of life and one on when you find fossils, they look almost exactly like their living counterpart today if their living counterpart is still alive. And there was no evolution, supposedly, after maybe tens, maybe hundreds of millions of years. These, these articles were so clear and so well-written that I went from believing in evolution to um, having my eyes opened and seeing the truth wow. of creation, like in a, in a moment, in the library. And uh, after about five or six months of getting that wow. magazine, reading Acts and Facts, I knew that is what the Lord was calling me to do. And almost... Well, Randy, we are going to...
1: We are going to take that
3: up right on the other side of the break here,
1: Randy. Galuza is our guest. We're talking with him right now. And your calls, folks, 888-589-8840 to talk to Randy Galuza And we'll pick it up right after the break. Welcome back to Jenna Ellis in the Morning on American Family Radio. Welcome back, friends, to Jenna Ellis in the Morning. My name is Mike Donnelly, and I'm just a friend of Jenna. I've known Jenna for a number of years and so appreciate her ministry and her work, and I'm just so delighted to be able to be the guest host this morning. Jenna will be back next week, I believe, from her vacation, and I know you'll be excited to have her back. She does such a wonderful job, but I am just super excited Excited to be joined by Dr. Randy Galooza, the president of the Institute for Creation Research. And just before the break, Randy, you were telling me about your journey from evolutionist to creationist, and I'll share with you that I had the same journey because I grew up, I grew up in a in a in a in a church environment that didn't teach the Bible as true, and uh, or at least point you to the Bible. And I went to public school. And I got to tell you, it was the public school that totally shot me in the other direction. I grew up learning about evolution and biology, and I listened to Carl Sagan, and I watched the cosmos, and I thought, man, you know, with the infinite universe, there must be an infinite number of planets, and what are the chances that we're the only people in the universe, right? And I said, this this evolution, it must have happened, and if it happened here, it must have happened everywhere else, and so we're not alone, and that was how I grew up. And uh, when I when I finally came to, to know the Lord, I realized, whoa, this Bible, I got to go back to the Bible. And that's where my eyes were open. And it sounds like you had something of a similar experience. So, so just keep telling us you know, about that experience. And then I want you to tell us a little bit about ICR. And then I really want to get into this discussion about this new theory you have about how natural selection really isn't the thing that is you know causing us to adapt so we're going to talk about that friends here in a minute but Randy tell us you said you heard
3: this call when you were in school yes yes yeah you know they um the calling may be as as important as almost anything else because young people are listening and young people need to know what their calling is it'll give direction to the decisions you make in life as to where you go to school and what uh things you're going to study and, and what jobs you're going to take. And the Lord made that clear. My, my testimony, is you, as you described, is very, very similar to yours. I, I wasn't even in a Christian home, wonderful parents, but did not grow up in a Christian home, did not grow up going to church at all, and I I wasn't even watching Carl Sagan and the like, but I believed my teachers. When they said something, I thought they were very, very authoritative. And I believed my textbooks, and the whole idea that they could ever be misleading me for one reason or another I didn't even enter into my mind. So I had this implicit trust in my textbooks and in what's in scientists and in my teachers, which I have now learned it was really, really ill-founded to have that uh, trust. I should have had a questioning mind. I should have been questioning the things that I was heard. I should have been checking things out for myself. And so when I read those articles, as I mentioned, in Acts and Facts by Dr. Dwayne Gish from ICR, it really opened my eyes. And about five months later, I knew that the Lord was calling me into creation science work and Speaking to the founder of this ministry, Dr. Henry M. Morris, he advised me to go back to school, finish my engineering degree, and then through a series of mentoring moments along the way, either with Dr. Henry Morris or Dr. Duane Gish, I went to medical school, I I served some time in the military, um, finished up a medical degree, I went to Harvard to get that master's in public health. All of those were stepping stones either through education or through experience on the job to first come to work for ICR and be a qualified scientist and be able to speak knowledgeably on things like biology and geology and the like, and then second, um, in order to gain the leadership experience and managerial experience, to become the president of ICR about 12 years later after I started to work for them. So my entire life was guided by this desire that I used to say to everybody, I want to work for ICR. I want to work for ICR. And I planned all the education, all those steps, all those things that you laid out uh, because the Lord was calling me into this ministry as preparation. And it was such a great guide. So I'm, I would encourage anybody, particularly young people, ask the Lord, ask the Lord to show you your calling and let that be your guide. And he will give you the desires of your heart.
1: Well, that's certainly true. And I've experienced that in my own life as well. You know, people ask, how do I know the will of God in my life? And, you know, it may sound a little strange, but, you know, you'll know it if you seek it. He will reveal it to you. And sometimes it can be very clear, like you're describing, Randy, that, you know, you you just have a very clear conviction about where you want to go. Uh, And I am excited about that because ICR is an incredibly important ministry, Um, and this this idea of creation science and revealing God's word as truth and investigating it and trying to understand creation, uh, and you know all of the amazing things in creation that we see and we try to explain. It's you know we can we can see God's handiwork. I mean, in in Romans Paul talks about you know the invisible things of creation show His handiwork, right? And in Psalms. You know the, the you know the heavens declare the glory of God. So it's out there. We can see it. And even in Romans it says, you know those you know, if you, if, you know those who deny it are without excuse, you can't deny the design that we see in creation. And we can if we investigate it, we'll figure it out. But similar, you know if we want to know what God wants us to do in our lives, he'll tell us if we really, truly ask him. Um, but talk to us about ICR, Randy. Uh, incredibly important ministry. It's been around for many, many years. In a lot of ways, ICR is the ministry that kicked off modern creation uh, investigation. I-, I think that's at least my perception of it. Is that accurate? Tell us, tell us about yeah. ICR.
3: Yes, yes, that is accurate. You're right. Started in 1970 by Dr. Henry M. Morris and Dr. Dwayne Gish, and has been and, and continues to be the world's premier research organization Um, doing scientific research into the whole topic of origins, the creation of the universe, creation of earth, creation of life, and all of these areas. And many of your listeners might even have the false perception that science and religion are in conflict with each other. Nothing, nothing can be further from the truth. First of all, most of the greatest scientists in history were Bible-believing Christians and founded the, the new areas of scientific research. And I, if I had time, I could just go and go on and talk about all of them. You can go to our webpage, and you can actually search for men of science and men of God, and you can find out how these leaders in, in science right from the very beginning were Bible-believing Christians. But second, um, there, is, there is not anything in science which is really contrary to true biblical faith. In fact, the more we study, particularly as you just mentioned, in the area of biology, it is confirming over and over things that the Bible is talking about, and the two are in alignment. So that is where we do our scientific research. The Institute for Creation Research is, is a multidisciplined scientific organization. In other words, we have PhD geologists on staff, PhD geneticists on staff, PhD physiologists, physicists on staff um, of various kinds, uh, developmental biologists and the like. And we have research in multiple areas that we've been conducting over the years. First, one of our our first major advances was uh, Mount St. Helens, where actually studying a cataclysmic event showed that uh, deposition of layers could happen very, very rapidly in hours layers that I was taught in school took millions and millions of years to go down by eyewitness account were deposited within four hours or less than a day. On top of that, we could see the characteristics of the layers, but they were flat and extensive with no soil between them. They captured many fossils in those layers, and they look exactly like the layers that you and I would see at Grand Canyon. Flat, extensive layers over over vast distances, very thick sedimentary layers with billions of fossils in them. And when they're bent, they're bent and folded neatly without cracking. And that leads us to research even that we're doing today, over 50 years later, where no other research institute in the world is doing it. We're actually doing borehole log analysis. So. When oil companies go looking for oil, they drill a borehole log and a geologist logs the layers that are coming out of the ground. Other other organizations looking for minerals alike do this. We have actually collected thousands of these because they're public access and cataloged them from all over the world. And we can build maps that show us two things. First, it shows us that we can demonstrate that some sedimentary layers are found in the same order – in the same sequence on every continent on the planet. Now, what mechanism would place that but a worldwide flood? And two, our analysis can actually show some of the stages of the flood. So we'll get into the biology in a second when you ask the next question, but this is some of the scientific research that we've been doing over the years, and it's really world-class.
1: Well, it is world class. And this this question of geology, I think, is so important because, you know, there's a lot of confusion out there when we try to um, explain to people why um, we believe there was a flood. And you're explaining some of these mechanisms here. It's like, how could there be these smooth um, interfaces between different layers if that happened over millions of years? You would not expect that. You would expect it to be jagged or you expect to have things in between them. And that's the research you're talking about at Mount St. Helens and then the fossils i mean to me it's just fascinating it's like okay how do you get clam shells at the top of mount everest or whatever you know it's like how can you explain that and this kind of research that you're doing from a scientific perspective with phd's just showing the evidence so that people can see the truth. But there's this other thing. And you know what, I think what I'd like to do, we have someone on the line and friends, you can call in and talk to Randy if you want to and ask a question. We have Bobby Joe from Texas who we're gonna bring on here. But friends, if you wanna ask a question um, to Randy Galouza, president of the Institute for Creation Research, Dr. Randy Galouza, 888-589-8840. Bobby Joe from Texas. uh, Can we bring Bobby Joe on here? And she wants to ask you a question, Randy.
2: Hi Bobby Randy, Joe.
1: can you hear me? Ah, thank you, sir. Treat me like i'm your ten year old child and tell me the
2: best answer to an evolutionary person that would that would uh try to convince them that evolution is not right
3: and creation is the answer okay so if you if I was talking to a ten year old uh, there's, you can actually go two ways. One, you can show the reasons why evolutionary theory is wrong and the explanations that you're taught in school are wrong. And for two basic ones, I mean, something that a 10-year-old could understand is that nobody in all of the history of humankind has ever seen, by actual experiments or observation, one creature change into another creature. And in fact, it's just the exact opposite. In all of human observation, the organisms or groups of organisms always faithfully, as the Bible says, reproduce after their kind. In other words, cats always beget cats, even though there's diversity. Dogs always beget dogs and the like. And second, if evolution was true, you have to get life going. And there's not a scientist anywhere on the planet, and there's no research organization anywhere on the planet and this can be, you, anybody who's out there listening can challenge me on this, who's even close to explaining a natural origin of life, that life could come from non-life. And in fact, in all of human experience, in every culture throughout time, everybody has seen that life only comes from life. And then in terms of the positive side, why organisms really look designed, everybody knows that things don't create themselves. Anything that has features of multiple parts working together for a purpose always had a designer, always had an engineer behind it. And they always operate by basic engineering principles. And so we know that things don't create themselves. And when you find organisms with features that correspond to the most complex things that humans have ever designed, flying things, tunneling things, um, submarine type of things, like a person living inside another person for nine months until they're born. All of those features always had an engineer. And so you find corresponding features on living creatures performing very similar functions to highly engineered human things. So for the reasons that nobody has ever seen a natural original life and things always come from life, Nobody has ever seen creatures evolve into anything else, but organisms always faithfully reproduce after their kind. And we see the highly engineered correspondence between living things and man-made things. For a 10-year-old, I think that would be pretty compelling evidence that this evolutionary scenario is false and a creation one makes better sense.
1: Bobby Joe, thank you so much for the question. And uh, Randy, appreciate that answer. You know, I mean, common sense, right, folks? It looks designed because it was designed. Um, I mean, that's, you know, I think there's a certain amount we can trust common sense here. And those who want to try to push God out of the picture are trying to make us go against common sense. I mean, on one hand, there's a lot of complexity, but on the other hand, it's kind of simple. Folks, you can join our conversation here by dialing triple eight, 589-8840. Five eight nine eight eight four zero, 8840 And we are going to go ahead and uh, bring on another caller here shortly. But Randy, I wanted to ask you a question about this new theory that you have been researching. Um, and so folks, how does evolution say that things change, right? They use this idea of natural selection. This was Darwin's theory, and, and Randy will explain it a lot better than I will here Um, And we'll start to get into it right before the break and then finish it on the other side. But Darwin said, we don't need God. Why? Because nature can handle it. Nature does it. And he posed this theory of origin of species. And it's kind of a racist theory, frankly, when you talk about it, uh, because it was about the origin of man and favored races. Um, But he, he put out this idea of natural selection. And it was nature that was actually the thing that was doing the designing. And Randy's gonna tell us his ideas about that on the other side of this break. And we are talking with Dr. Randy Galuza, president of the Institute for Creation Research. You can ask your questions on American Family Radio. This is the Jenna Ellis Show. You can call in at 888-589-8840. That's 888 589 8840 your calls with Dr. Randy Galuza coming up right after the break
0: Leisha had found herself in an unplanned pregnancy and wasn't sure what to do. She searched for pregnancy services and found a preborn network clinic where she was counseled, supported, and offered a free ultrasound. After seeing her baby and hearing the heartbeat, she cried. She was certain she would keep her baby forever. Leisha gave birth to a baby girl who is smart, beautiful, and full of life. Often, she visits that same clinic and receives free clothes, diapers, and more. Because of your generous support, Preborn writes 200 stories just like these every day. $28 can be the difference between the life and death of a child. When a mother meets her baby on ultrasound and hears their heartbeat, it's a divine connection and doubles a baby's chance at life. Let's join together and help Mothers in Crisis choose life. Just dial pound 250 and say the keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Baby or visit preborn.com that's preborn.com all gifts are tax deductible and 100 of your donation goes towards saving babies
1: welcome back to jenna ellis in the morning on american family radio Welcome back friends to the Jenna Ellis in the Morning Show. I'm Mike Donnelly, a friend of Jenna's guest hosting. She will be back next week and we are talking with Dr. Randy Galooza, the president of the Institute for Creation Research about creation and science. And uh, friends, you can go to the ICR website, icr.org. They've got some amazing materials there. They've got their Acts and Facts booklet and it's just an incredible ministry and You know, if you're uh, interested in learning more about creation science, please go to icr.org. But right before the break, we were talking about this idea of natural selection as the mechanism for how creatures supposedly change from one form to another, which Dr. Galuzza said we've never seen happen. And there's no evidence of that happening in the fossil record at all. Uh, But Randy, tell us about your idea. You have a model for responding to that whole concept of natural selection. Tell us about it.
3: You're right. And you, you, you mentioned something right before the break about common sense. And that is so important. You know, when people look at creatures, it's very intuitive to them that these things were engineered. Birds fly. I mean, they, they fly better than our planes. And creatures that live under the water do it far better than any of our highly engineered submarines uh, can do many of these things. So common sense and good intuition tells us that organisms look really, really engineered. They look highly designed. And so in many ways that is the major question that needs to be explained by anybody in any culture that's ever been on this planet. Why in the world do creatures look so engineered? And so when Darwin developed his theory and his disciples after him have modified it over the years, that is the question that they're trying to answer. Not why there's such a big diversity of life on Earth, but why does it, why does life look so highly engineered, and can nature in and of itself do that, or does life require an outside engineer to make it? That is the main question, and you and I know theologically, that is the, the, the basis for general revelation. When people look at creatures, when they look at biology particularly, they see evidence of an agent. They see evidence of a very intelligent and powerful agent. Can nature do that by itself? And that's what Darwin developed his model for, which he ends up, and I'll just get to the bottom line, he personifies nature. He says nature can act like a human breeder, and therefore he projects onto nature the ability to select. And when you read the best scientific papers out there, you will see that the mechanism, the answer to why organisms look so highly engineered is always because nature could select for, nature could act on, nature could favor, nature could work on, nature could weed out. In other words, they put all of these verbs to nature as if it were a real agent. And nature, in Darwin's theory, becomes a substitute creator where nature has all of the abilities to exercise agency, just as if God would exercise agency. And most people have missed this. I know I missed it for decades, that Darwin really didn't come up with a mechanism. He just came up with a personification, which is very, very subtle, very, very clever, very, very seductive, but it's not really explaining anything. And then, neo-Darwinism made it even worse, because they now speculate that random genetic mistakes which they call mutations, are the natural product for all of the genetic material. But what we know in science is that these mistakes end up causing diseases. They cause cancer. They end up leading towards death. So from a common-sense standpoint, looping all the way back to what you were saying, it makes no sense. In fact, it's irrational from a common-sense standpoint that random genetic mistakes would provide the raw materials for evolution, something that nobody wants and we want, to, we want to guard against in every area of medicine. And second, that they can be acted on and worked on and favored by some mystical, magical agent in nature is just highly, highly misleading. And so we need to chuck that, dump it. Lock, stock, and barrel, not only for theological reasons, but for scientific reasons. It never leads you on the right track, and it always gets you off into some kind of mysticism. What mm-hmm. we need to replace so what, with so what do we, is engineering. Yeah, I was just to say, what, so what do we replace it with? Okay, so engineering. So,
1: what's, so, what's the, so how do we do that?
3: Yeah, so we look at organisms as if they were highly engineered entities, and that's easy to do because, as I mentioned earlier, they have corresponding systems and corresponding elements and corresponding features Mm. that are performing the exact same functions as man-made things. So let's take adaptation, because that's the name of the game. If organisms couldn't change, then you could never get a theory of evolution going. How in the world does that happen? Could it be that organisms adapt like any highly engineered man-made adaptable system, where they have innate sensors that can sense what's happening in the world around them, they have innate logic that says if they detect certain conditions, then deploy these features. And they have output mechanisms which can actually affect it. If they have sensors, logic, and output, just like an engineered, adaptable thing that a human has, then they could adapt. So the question mm. is, do they have those features, and are they used that way? And the answer is yes, <clears throat> in spades. Sensors for for so many different conditions highly engineered logic, and they can produce responses which are so targeted to the condition or the challenge that they're trying to solve that they can even be predictable. We can predict color changes in organisms. We can predict other features which they absolutely need in order to um, not just survive but to thrive Mm -hmm. in various conditions. And so they have these features so when we see in organisms as these highly engineered problem-solving entities rather than passive modeling clay, we end up with a much closer explanation to how they're actually organized, how they're actually functioning. Mm-hmm. And so we mm-hmm. have developed this model which we have dubbed continuous environmental tracking in which we can show organisms use these sensors and logic and output to continuously track environmental changes and produce specific responses which are targeted to their challenges
1: so c-e-t continuous environmental tracking is your explanation for how creatures adapt and change because we do see that right we talk about evolution like you know people think evolution is creatures changing from one to another and that is darwinian evolution or neo-darwinian evolution that you know we all evolved from from goo to you as some people like to say right but um But but really, we don't see that, but we do see changes. We see, you know, creatures changing. We see different kinds of squirrels in one part of the world versus another part of the world that are squirrels, but they look different. Um, And so one's one color. You have the flying squirrel or the ground squirrel, but they're still squirrels. It's like, how did one squirrel become a flying squirrel and one squirrel become a ground squirrel? And you're saying that built into the creature is this logic and this ability to sense the environment so what what is where is that? Is that in the DNA? Is that where that is? Is that inside the DNA that God has created this put this programming in, you know, and what how are you thinking of these sensors? Where what are the sensors that that are in us that are is it just our
3: eyes is that? You know, what what does that look like? Well, they're okay, so let's pick up the sensors. They're they're like eyes, they're like ears, they're like Uh, motion sensors and other things they they all have ability to link into or identify something in the environment and to measure changes on it but they measure things like pH and and so many other things and you literally have thousands of them on every cell of your body and they're able Mm -hmm. to detect right down to the cellular level all of these kinds of changes and it functions at the organism level and the second part of your question excuse me was, is it in the DNA? Yes. <clears throat> yes, it's in the DNA, but it's in, it's in other areas even outside the DNA where there are other factors which can modify expressions of DNA. So you have variety within the DNA, you have features mm. that can change deliberately, genetic material to express things in the DNA, and you have other factors called epigenetic factors, even outside the DNA, which modify the expression of this. So you have a a whole unified package within an organism that allows it to express specific traits to solve specific challenges. So the different squirrels that you're talking about are all expressing traits which make them suitable for their environment to meet the challenges of their environment so they can live in it.
1: Well, that makes a lot of sense. Well, uh, Randy, so continuous economic, economic, not economic, environmental tracking, continuous environmental tracking, CET, um, you can just kind of put that up against natural selection. And when people say, well, natural selection, you can say, hold up. Have you heard about CET, continuous environmental tracking? Uh, And Randy just explained it to us. Randy, I want to bring Jerry from Texas in uh, here to ask a question about how to explain Neanderthal man. Um, because Neanderthal man is this idea that, oh, you know, he's in the line of evolution from, you know, goo to you. So, uh, Jacob, can we get, I'm not sorry, not Jacob, Jerry. Is Jerry on the line, guys? Can we put him in? Jerry, you there? Yes, sir. Hey, Jerry, yes, go ahead. Sir, Ask I your am. question to Dr. Randy Galouza. All right, real quick. I have a first question because
2: I heard his, his uh, credentials at the beginning, and, and I believe he said he was an engineer in the Navy. So, real quick, was that in the Navy Seabees? Um, and if so, I was a CB myself and it's always great to, to understand, um, and meet fellow CBs. Secondly,
1: well, Jerry, thank right? you. Thank you for, for Jerry. Hold up. You are not going you don't have to, you can hang, you can hang with us. We can chat for a little bit here. I just want to thank you for your service. Were you in the, were you a CB, Randy?
3: Yes. Yes, I was.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, there are fellow two all CBs right. on the line here. That's great. So Jerry, what's your question about Neanderthal man?
2: So my children go to a a Christian school, and the book that they use talks about it, but they kind of skip that chapter. And the teacher that my child has didn't want to shy away from the giving the children an understanding while um, being loving and kind in this manner, because they know the kids will look at the book and want to know what that is from our God-given curiosities. And so I um, talked with her and, and gave her an understanding that it's not in the line of evolution, but as, as a, um, a sign to say that these adaptations happen, so to speak, but I would like to ex- be able for her to expand to the children of what that actually is. Um, and then send this to her to gain an understanding of that. So can you and explain thank you. the
1: intertall man? Thanks. you. Thank you, Jerry. Thanks for your service.
3: Great, great, Jerry. Yes, I was a CB, thanks so very much, and I was in the Civil Engineer Corps, um, which is the officer corps of the CBs. Well, to get a a really long and thorough explanation on Neanderthals, go to icr.org, and uh, that stands for Institute for Creation Research.org. We have dozens of articles on Neanderthals, but to sum them up, the view of Neanderthals has radically, radically changed since I was a kid, when there were these hairy, ape-like quadrupeds, some kind of caveman, which was like an intermediary, intermediary between uh, an ape and a human, and that was an absolute necessity at the time to convince people of this evolutionary theory. But now we know that was completely wrong, completely false. Neanderthals, in many ways, acted just like us. They, they were artists. They were musicians. They, they made clothes. They buried their dead. And in so many ways, you could just look at human traits, and this is the same as Neanderthal. But I think the coup de grace to the fact that Neanderthals were fully human, just like us, is that, is that you and I and almost everybody on this planet actually has sequences of DNA from Neanderthals. So humans and Neanderthals mated and had viable offspring. So the answer to the question is, who were Neanderthals? Neanderthals were human beings just like us. Uh, they, As far as we know, they've gone extinct. But we can see in people living today many traits, many traits similar to Neanderthals.
1: Well, thank you very much, Randy, for that explanation and for the question. Uh, Sherry, mm-hmm. and I just want to break some news here before we go to our next question. We're going to be wrapping up here in just a couple of minutes. Um, We've just received some news that Dianne Feinstein, Senator Dianne Feinstein from California has passed away at the age of 90. So many people probably are aware that she was a Senator from California um, and she has uh, passed away at the age of 90. So our prayers are with her family um, as they grapple with that. And of course, this will have some impact on the uh, Senate Um, we don't know what that impact will be. And I'm sure that, uh, you know, Jenna will maybe comment on that when she gets back on Monday. But we've got one more question here, and I want to get to this one because I referenced it before. Um, We got Russell on the line wants to ask about how in the world um, are we getting seashells on the mountains? Russell, what's your question for Dr. Randy Galuzzi?
2: I appreciate your show and your time. So I'm a physician, I studied biology. I thought biblically the earth was sort of formless, covered with water and so i never really struggled with clams on mountains and i also thought that tectonic plates created the mountains so that they'd be pushed up from underwater which would give you clams
1: okay thank you for that question russell we've only got hey russell we've only got about 40 seconds left randy quick question seashells on mountains worldwide flood
3: i think russell yeah where russell was going with his question and so sorry to cut you off on that is right the earth was covered in water, was inundated in, uh, first initially during creation, and then during a worldwide flood, which placed sedimentary layers all over the world. These were then pushed up, as you mentioned, by tectonic activity that occurred very rapidly at the end of the flood. And water that's was was where the seashells, that's,
1: that is where the that is where the seashells came from, folks. This was the Jenna Ellis Show in the morning. Sorry about the quick end there but thanks for listening we'll see you next time have a great weekend well, remember Romans eight twenty-eight. the views and opinions expressed in this broadcast may not necessarily reflect those of the American Family Association or American Family Radio
0: We'd like to thank our sponsors, including Preborn. Preborn has rescued over 200,000 babies from abortion. And every day, their network clinics rescue 200 babies' lives. Will you join Preborn in loving and supporting young moms in crisis? Save a life today. Go to preborn.com.